people. This isn't, you know, my son is not the only one I intend to raise from the dead here. To prove it, I'm going to raise a few other folks, and they're going to visit some, you know, some of the people that, you know, that family members, you know, let them know that they got to raise them. But just to show that God was serious about this resurrection thing, that, you know, he had plans for all believers someday, that we were all going to raise, rise from the dead. All right. So the first in the order of resurrection under the first resurrection category is Jesus himself. The second is, of course, the church saints. After Jesus' resurrection comes the resurrection of Christians, church saints, those believers who have come to saving faith between Pentecost and the rapture. In fact, the rapture signifies the resurrection of all Christians that have come to faith in the church age, right? Again, Pentecost to the rapture. And we read about this in 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13. Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. That's always used of believers, okay? Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Uh, to believers, death is only sleep. And the body sleeps, but the soul and spirit, they are at home with the Lord. Even as Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. By the way, uh, when the Bible talks about sleep, it's always a reference to believers and then to their physical bodies. It never is connected with soul sleep or spirit sleep. When the Bible talks about this saint fell asleep, it means that they died physically. Their body, though, went to sleep. And someday, at the rapture, it's going to be awakened and glorified and reunited with the soul and the spirit of the person who have gone on to be with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Well, what is resurrected? The body. And that will happen for believers at the time of the rapture. Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then they will be joined by all the living saints who are on the earth, and we all together will meet the Lord in the air. Verse 17 then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So the idea is this. All those church age saints that have already died, their soul and spirit are with the Lord. Their bodies are in the ground, have decayed. When the rapture happens, they're going to, in just a fraction of a second, beat us up to meet the Lord in the air. We're not, you know, they're going to precede us. I mean, it's not going to be a long time. They're not going to have coffee and donuts up there <laughs> waiting for us to catch up. It'll be just a twinkle of an eye, I'm sure. Boom, boom. And, you know, they're first. They're going to, their bodies will be resurrected, glorified, reunited with their soul and spirit in the air as the Lord comes. And then we who are still alive on the earth, we're going to be transformed inst instantaneously. We're going to receive our glorified bodies and we're going to be just caught up to meet the Lord and these other Christians. I'm talking about Spurgeon 
and uh, Moody and Wesley and all these saints, you know, and, and Amy Carmichael and, and, and just these wonderful believe We're all going to be united. What a, what a glorious, uh, you know, I say reunion. We've never known them, but we're going to be united together in the clouds. And then the Lord will take us to heaven. Now, again, don't confuse this coming of Jesus with the second coming. And this is where people want to say there's only one uh, coming, there's only one resurrection. But, you know, I think the Bible is pretty clear that, you know, there's, for the believer, there is a series of resurrections. And we have the first, the category, the first resurrection, which contains a series of resurrections. Uh, But also, uh, they like to say that the rapture is not really biblical. It was invented by Darby in the 1800s. Uh, Well, I beg to differ. I don't know what Darby came up with. But I know what Paul says. And he says at the rapture, Jesus is coming for his church, where we meet him halfway in the clouds. At the second coming, he's coming with his church all the way back to the earth. They're not the same event. They're different. So that's the second group, the church saints. The third group is the resurrection of the tribulation saints. The tribulation saints, remember now, after the church is gone in the rapture, the Holy Spirit is going to start working very hard to bring unbelievers to Christ. And millions will get saved during the seven-year tribulation period. As we move into the second half, the Antichrist is going to start, and his followers are going to start slaughtering them by the millions because they refuse to take the mark. They refuse to worship his image. They are looked upon as the enemy to unity in the world and so on and so forth. And um, especially if there's a new age mindset going on where if we kill these people, they'll be reincarnated, more enlightened. We're doing them a favor. So let's get rid of them all. They're, they're really, you know, they're really messing with the, with the universal consciousness here. You know, uh, we, we got to get rid of these. These people are just messing up the unity in the world. They say the world is like a body. And all these monotheists are like a cancer cells in the body. And what do you do with cancer? You've got to cut it out. You've got to get rid of it. The body's going to be healthy. This is all New Age stuff. And it, the writings are out there. But these folks are going to be beheaded, killed by the millions, especially as we move into the second half of the tribulation period. But at the end of that period... When Jesus Christ returns, they are going to be raised up to reign with him during the millennial kingdom. And that's what it says here in verse 4 once again, where John said, And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years." Uh, We already saw in chapter 16, excuse me, chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, and then 14, verse 14, and Revelation 13, we saw these people who were slaughtered by the Antichrist. Uh, In chapter 7, John sees a multitude so numerous you can't even number them. So many people are being killed by the Antichrist and his followers. And we see in verse chapter 13, the big reason is because they won't take his mark, worship his image, and so on and so forth. All right? So they will be resurrected when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. And then you have the resurrection of the Old Testament saints. 
And I believe this will occur pretty much simultaneously with the resurrection of the tribulation saints. Now, the resurrection of the Old Testament saints was promised by God through the Old Testament prophets like Daniel. Turn to chapter 12 once. You know, the Jews believed in resurrection. They just believed there was one great resurrection for everybody. But they did believe in resurrection. And here in Daniel 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, At that time Michael shall stand up, Michael the archangel, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Now you can, you can um, you know, key this, uh, you know, you know, got a Thompson chain reference, they already do it, no doubt, with uh, Revelation 12. Because right at the middle of the midpoint, Satan is kicked out of heaven, comes down to the earth having great wrath, right? And he is going to persecute Israel like they've never been persecuted before. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place in Jerusalem, then flee. Because at that time, there's going to arise such great tribulation against the Jewish people, unlike anything that's ever been seen before in the history of humanity. And so this is what it's talking about. Michael's going to stand up. There shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered. Now it's talking about the end of the seven years altogether when the Messiah comes back and delivers the believing Jews from the Antichrist, right? Everyone who was found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Well, that's true. It's just that uh, what Daniel didn't see was this gap of a thousand years between the resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus talks about it in John 5, but in Revelation 20 we learn there's a thousand years that separates the two resurrections. Okay, But Old Testament saints won't be resurrected until Jesus sets foot on the earth. Job said, when he stands on the earth, then my eyes shall see him. So this is also, though, a part of that first resurrection category. Again, all true believers, whether they're Old Testament saints, New Testament saints, or tribulation saints, will be, will be part of the first resurrection. All unbelievers will be part of the second resurrection. And it says in verse 5, But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. Now, when it says the rest of the dead, this has to refer to all unbelievers, right? That have ever lived in the history of humanity. The rest of the dead. Well, we've already seen under the resurrection of the righteous, all righteous saints resurrected. Old Testament, New Testament, tribulation. So the rest of the dead that weren't resurrected until after the thousand years, that has to be talking about all unbelievers that have ever lived. And their resurrection which is going to take place after the millennial kingdom, after the thousand years, is going to be a resurrection to judgment and damnation, which we'll study in verses 11 through 15. Also, in verse 5, when John says, the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years was finished, he has to be referring, listen, to bodily resurrection. Bodily resurrection. And I'll tell you why, because these unbelievers have been living and conscious and tormented 
ever since they died physically on the earth and their bodies were buried in the ground, they went into a place called Hades where they were conscious. Right now they're conscious. They're alive and they're in torment. So when it says the rest did not live again, it has to be talking about bodily resurrection. And by the way, the word resurrection in the Greek is anastasis. I think it's used like 45 times in the New Testament. It always, except for one place in Luke, it always speaks of bodily resurrection. In fact, the Greek word anastasis literally means to stand again. It's talking about physical bodily resurrection. These folks are going to be raised physically at the end of the thousand years. But I wanted to just point out the fact that ever since they died on the earth physically and their physical bodies were buried, their soul or their consciousness went into Hades. Now, don't confuse Hades with hell. If you've got a King James Bible, the King James Bible unfortunately takes the Greek word Hades and then Gehenna and translates them both with the word hell. They're not the same thing. Gehenna is hell. Hades is not. Hades is somewhere in the center of the earth. Gehenna is somewhere in the outer darkness, the lake of fire. That's what Gehenna is. That's hell. In the Hebrew, the word that represented Hades was Sheol. They both mean the same things. Sheol in the Hebrew, Hades in the Greek is both talking about the same place. The words literally mean the grave, the grave. And it's the place where the dead went and where they were incarcerated. Now, here's the thing, and I want to just say this to you. Often people ask me, will ask me, what happened to the people who died in the Old Testament time before Jesus came? And also, as we're studying this, you might be thinking, well, you're saying that the rest of the dead, the unbelievers, didn't rise again until the end of the thousand years. Where are they right now? Well, they're in Hades. In fact, turn to Luke 16. I think we ought to read this. You're familiar with it, but let me read it to you again because we're in this section that Jesus talks about this place. Now, in Luke 16, starting in verse 19, Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. Stop there. When Jesus named this person, it signified he was not giving a parable. He was telling a story about two real people. You know, when Jesus gave parables, he would often say a certain king. Or there was a rich man. But he's not talking about anybody specifically. It was a, it's, a, it's a parable, right? Here, when he named one of these men Lazarus, he's telling us that this is not a parable. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that, uh, that people don't go into a place called hell. They believe that when you die as an unbeliever, you get cast into the lake of fire, you burn up, you go out of existence. Annihilationism. And they have a real problem with this text because it... It talks about the fact that there is life after death for unbelievers who are tormented. And so they try to say, well, it was a parable, as if that negates everything. And I always say, well, if it is a parable, which I don't believe it is, what was the point? Well, you, know, you dismiss it by saying it was a parable. But if it's a parable, what was Jesus trying to teach through it? Because even parables have points to them, right? 
But this is no parable. This is a real story about real men in a real place. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, at the rich man's gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Father, excuse me, saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that I may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Now notice that they're both conscious, right? Again, you have people that believe in soul sleep. When we die, we just sleep until the resurrection. Our soul sleeps. That's not biblical. These men are not sleeping. They're both dead. They're both in Hades. One is in a paradise side of Hades called Abraham's bosom. The other is in a torment side. And the two compartments are separated by a gigantic gulf like the Grand Canyon. And understand this, Lazarus was not sent to the paradise side because he was poor. He was obviously a believer, which is not mentioned, but it's Jesus assumes we understand that. And the rich man was not sent to the torment side because he was rich. There's many rich people who are godly people. This rich guy was sent to the bad side of Hades because he was an unbeliever and selfish, no doubt. So, you know, this unbeliever, this this rich man in, in life looks over and sees. He can see it far off. He can see on the other side of this gulf. It's paradise. And there's Father Abraham. And people are gathered around and hugging him and being comforted and having a great time. And this guy's tormented in this flame. He says, look, Father Abraham, you know, can you send Lazarus back over to me so he can dip his finger in some water and touch it to my tongue? I'm tormented in this flame. And Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. Besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. I'm not sure who would want to. Okay. Nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in other words, five living brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have the word of God. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Interesting. It's interesting that, that Jesus did raise a man from the dead named Lazarus. Now, I'm not saying it was the same Lazarus, but he did raise a man from the dead named Lazarus. And what was the response of the unbelievers? Did they get saved? I mean, the leadership. No, they wanted to kill him again. You know, Lazarus can't win for losing, you know. It was a powerful miracle because he was dead four days. And the Jews believe after the third day, the spirit hung around the corpse for a while. After the third day, it left. So somebody raised four days after having died. That was really, you know, any resurrection spectacular. But if you're of a Jewish mindset, that was even more spectacular. So Lazarus was a powerful witness to those people that were thinking about 
is Jesus really the Messiah? Is he, you know, so he was used by God to bring a lot of people to Christ, no doubt. But they eventually killed him again. But but the point I want to make to you is that um, that there is this place in the center of the earth called Hades, Sheol, and it is divided into two compartments. Right, there is a paradise side, and there is a torment side. All unbelievers go to the torment side. All believers went to the paradise side, but only until Jesus came. Why? Because even though it was paradise, it was still prison. Their sins had not been atoned for. They couldn't go to heaven, so they were trapped there. It was a prison. It's a nice prison, but it was prison. It wasn't heaven. And they couldn't leave there until Jesus died for their sins. And remember what Jesus said in Matthew 12. He said, As Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so shall the Son of Man spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him day by day. He said,